Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, along with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney, and Eric, it is the final Showtime Boxing podcast of the first half of 2019, or depending when you're listening to it, maybe it's the first of the second half of 2019. Um, and of course, over on this side of the pond, we... Head into the July 4th holiday, and we also, uh, it's a good opportunity to take an initial look back at our first six months in our new home, and I like to think it's gone pretty well, Eric, don't you? Yeah, I, I should say so, and, um, you know, speaking of uh, how well it's gone here at, at Showtime uh, as part of this podcast family, I want to offer a quick congratulations to our fellow Showtime podcasters, Pauli Malinaji. Peter Cards and Seth Nyman, uh, as their Brooklyn to the World podcast has been named the Showtime Sports Podcasting Champion, uh, because of course Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney has been elevated to the title of Showtime Sports <laughs> Podcasting Franchise Champion. <laughs> yes, oy, oy, oy. it's like you're familiar with the whole concept of you know the frog in a pot of water syndrome, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. So for those who don't know, right? I think you explain explain it. I should for probably, the... I should probably, rather than just leave it at that. Well, <laughs> now that we've established this... that one person knows what it is, we can just dive right in. Yes. So there is this aphorism for those who don't know it, which is a horrible thing, really. That if you place a frog <laughs> in a pot of boiling water, it will not unreasonably object vehemently. But if you put it in a pot of cold water and slowly turn up the heat, it won't even notice that it's being boiled to death, and then soon you have, you know, boiled frog. If for whatever reason you would want a boiled frog, but that's another matter. And and that I think about this with it now we've got franchise champions and God knows what else. This is this is what the alphabet bodies are operating on, I think, right? It's it all begins very slowly. Ah, oh, let's divide the sport into two, two different competing bodies. People will hate that, but they'll get used to it. And once they're used to it, we'll add a third. Oh, they'll really hate that. But then we'll add a fourth. Oh, and at first, everyone will pay no attention to the fourth one until we slip in a fifth and a sixth. And then people will think, well, actually, maybe that fourth one isn't too bad. And then we'll add in some interim titles and some super titles and some gold belts and platinum belts and franchise champions and intergalactic champions. <laughs> and soon you're a champion and you're a champion and everyone's a champion and we're all boiled frogs. <laughs> Wow, that's a scary, a scary ending there. Uh, the fact that we end up as boiled frogs, but uh, I, w I was with you up until that point, and uh, yeah, I just feel bad now for the the one guy out there who doesn't have a, a world championship <laughs> belt. I believe there there's one in the entire sport I, I who doesn't have a belt. Suck. Yeah, it must or be he's terrible. Excellent and doesn't want to give up any sanctioning fees. Oh, there you go. It could be it. He's right. above all this nonsense. An ethical there you go. boxer out there. So <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yes. Well, look, we'll do our best today to say. As little as possible, <laughs> in addition to what we've already said, right. about the alphabet shenanigans in the middleweight division. But there are some, and we can't ignore them entirely, uh, since the 160-pounders are at the center of a lot of what we'll be discussing this week. Uh, there's nothing really worth previewing this week, so if you've tuned in for your favorite weekly segment, the Let's Talk About the Fights That Are Ahead in the Coming Week, you can just go and listen to another podcast, because... <laughs> The biggest fight on the schedule, really, uh, on this 4th of July holiday weekend is uh, Nordin Ubali against Arthur Villanueva in Kazakhstan. Obviously, I will be covering that live from ringside. Um, I'm sure Eric will be joining us. Um, <laughs> but given that that is the biggest of the weekend, it kind of tells you it's not a jam-packed boxing weekend ahead. So instead, this week, we're just going to look back on the week that was. We'll cover some news. Most notably, what's up with middleweight champ Canelo Alvarez's next opponent. We'll break down several fights 
including Demetrius Andrade's Providence Homecoming. But we start with a different middleweight belt holder's homecoming. And on Saturday night on the NRG Arena in Houston, Texas, Jamal Charlo turned back a very game challenge in the end of Brandon Adams. Uh, he couldn't get the knockout he was seeking, but the fight uh, after the 12-round distance, clear win for Charlo. Two judges had a 120-108 shutout, while the third along with Showtime scorer Steve Farhood, gave Adams one round to make it 119-109. Jamal injured his left hand along the way, seemingly saying afterwards quite early in the fight, second or third round, something like that. And and he sort of went through this whole cavalcade of emotions afterward, didn't he? Like, and immediately when he was getting his wraps taken off in the corner, and he and, he and his brother seemed to be winding themselves up a little bit. He seemed frustrated. He seemed annoyed. Or perhaps the pain was just coming back into his hand. I'm not sure. And... And then he sort of got very pumped up, and, and and by the time he was talking to Jim Gray, he was he was he was the guy who talked to us last week. I right. thought when he was talking to Jim Gray, wasn't he? He was he was much more relaxed. He was much more happy, much more engaged. Um, certainly positives and negatives to take away from that performance. Uh, Eric, do you feel like his stock moved in one direction or another as a result of that performance? Uh, I guess I could cop out and say that it moved laterally. Uh, that is a direction. Ah, uh, but but what fun would that be? Um, so, uh, you know, I predicted a knockout. You predicted a knockout. Most people looked at this fight as a mismatch. So there is an inclination to look at the fact that it went the distance and say Charlo underperformed, at least relative to expectations. Um, but, you know, other than hurting Adams and knocking him out, other than failing to do that, he did pretty much everything you wanted him to do. He controlled the fight. He was forcing the action. He flashed that jab that he told us was the very best jab in boxing. I'm not sure I agree, but it's certainly a good jab. Uh, he mixed in those great uppercuts of his on occasion. Look, Adams is a, a quality opponent and a, a skilled defensive fighter. That really showed at times in yep. this fight. Charlo isn't Gennady Golovkin with like a 20-fight knockout streak where you expect him to stop everyone. Jamal is a good puncher, not an all-time great puncher. So I think maybe the expectations are a little unfair if you're going to expect him to stop everyone and be disappointed if he doesn't stop somebody, especially after he hurts his hand. So I definitely don't think his stock went down. So uh, therefore, I guess I will say that it went a tiny bit up. Uh, one observation about Charlo, I'd never noticed before how wide his stance is. That, that really jumped out at me in this fight, that he keeps his feet quite far apart and it works for him um lateral movement and being shifty and needing your feet a little closer together to make those movements it's not really a big part of his game he mostly just moves forward and uh, and does uh, sort of the, the flat-footed thing effectively mm. um so anyway it's not really relevant to the stock up or stock down discussion but uh just uh, thought i'd mention that but yeah stock up or stock down i will go a tiny tick up. Um, and I think there's less to hem and haw about in terms of Brandon Adams' stock. By about the sixth round, when it was clear he wasn't going away easily and he was making a fight of it in spots, I think his stock had already gone up. Even if he'd gotten knocked out in the seventh, I think we'd say that Brandon Adams' stock went up. Would you agree, Kieran, that despite losing arguably every round, this was a good night for Brandon Adams? Yeah, I mean, you just talked a lot about expectations and and how, you know, we judge a fighter often post-fight by the expectations pre-fight. And, and, you know, sometimes all you have to do is exceed those expectations. And I think Adams clearly did that. Uh, we said last week 
there are levels in this game and that Charlo, we expected him to be on an entirely different level to Adams and nothing that unfolded proved that wrong. Um, you know, I think you, you just touched on a lot of that really, you, you know, Charlo was better in every conceivable way He's by far the more effective fighter offensively, as you mentioned, um, he did what we said he needed, he should be doing and what Al Bernstein beforehand said he should be doing. He was landing that uppercut. Well, um, I, I think the big difference was that as you touched on, it's fair to say, that we expected that when and if Charlo was able to land his uppercut and those other key fights, key punches of his, that ultimately Adams would crumble. Um, and he didn't. Uh, and he hung in there strongly. He was wobbled a couple of times, but he never really looked on the brink. Um, he deployed a strategy that, you know, whether because of the way he went about it or just simply because Charlo was much better, it never looked likely to even make him competitive, let alone win. But it's weird that even though he fought in a way that, he barely won around at the same time. He didn't just go in there to lose, if you know what I mean, or right. even just to survive. He, he did throw serious punches. He did do what he could. He was constantly trying to, at the very least, uh, put pressure on, on Charlo and make life as difficult for him. Um, and as you mentioned, there was some real defensive skill in there that I hadn't anticipated uh, at all. Um, you know, we talked last week about how disadvantageous it is to be a five foot eight middleweight, but he was able to somewhat turn it to his advantage by making himself a little smaller and, and making it a bit harder for Charlo to land that jab and, and showing some good upper body movement. He, he joked about the whole Joe Frazier thing um, right. afterwards. Um, and because Charlo wasn't quite able to land a jab as well as he would like, that did sort of somewhat affect his, the rest of his power punches. And I was really impressed by the fact that even in close, there was some really nice subtle headwork in there from Brandon Adams, I, I thought. He was – some of those punches landed really flush, and clearly the guy's got a beard. But some just landed a smidgen less flush than you originally thought because you saw on, on replay just how he was just twisting his head just at that last moment. And – and that was impressive. Um, he talked in advance about not being a real 160-pounder, and he talked afterward about dropping down to 154, and he'd be well advised to do that. He'd still be short for a top-flight junior middleweight, but he'd be uh, at less of a disadvantage. And and he's the kind of guy, I think, like he's, he sounds like he's a good dude. He seems like he's right. a smiley guy. He's a charismatic fellow. Um, he clearly puts forth great effort. He feels to me like he's the kind of guy who fans are really going to want to see again in in some capacity. And and I hope he does go down to 54. And and I think he'd, he'd have the opportunity to get in some good fights down there. So yeah. um, I'd watch him again. That's for sure. I, I really would like to see him again. Um, as for what's next for Charlo. So we talked before the fight about how his biggest fights are politically challenging to make. Um, and his hopes of fighting Canelo probably diminished even more by this whole franchise middleweight championship business, which is what the WBC has decided Alvarez is now, which means as far as we can figure out and as much as we can ever figure out what any of it means <laughs> is that he'll never have to make a mandatory defense and they could just keep on collecting sanctioning fees from him and from Charlo simultaneously. So um, I know we said at the top of the podcast that we were going to talk as little about the alphabet belts as possible. And I know that you hate talking about them at all. Um, so perhaps briefly, <laughs> what does what does this news mean, if anything, uh, for the boxing fan? Anyone who's hoping to see, say, a Charlo and Canelo meeting down the line? Well, the the first thing it means is that uh, the WBC is making it clear 
that the boxing fans should ignore the alphabets if they aren't already. Yeah. They're, they're, they're telling you very loudly to do that. They, they've they always made up the rules on the fly to line their own pockets, and the WBC in particular has a history of making up rules to favor their most popular Mexican and Mexican-American title holders. It's so transparent. Yeah. They're, they're falling in line with that trend that we see these days uh, in certain spheres of let's just make our BS really obvious and <laughs> assume that people will let us get away sure. with it anyway. Um, and sure enough, they will keep getting away with it as long as fighters and managers and promoters are willing to pay them. Uh, so anyway, fans, just remember, Canelo is the lineal champion. He's the champ at 160. Golovkin is a top contender. Charlo has a belt and is a top contender. Same for Demetrius Andrade. But Canelo is the champ. Just ignore all the other noise. And uh, unfortunately... Including the ribbiting of frogs. (laughs) Right. There you go. (laughs) But I was just going to say on the end there, unfortunately for Charlo, what this means is uh, that Canelo fight that probably was not happening anytime soon anyway is that much less likely to happen and certainly isn't going to be enforced by that alphabet body. Uh, So let's get back to in-ring action. In the co-feature on Saturday's card in Houston, Erickson Lubin stopped Zachariah Atu in the fourth round, taking slightly longer than either of us predicted. Uh, I had the second round, you had the third. And really, it might have taken Lubin longer, but Atu injured his biceps in the third round, and that was the beginning of the end. It's hard to ever call a KO4 result disappointing, but Lubin wasn't really landing anything big until the injury. Then again, Atu wasn't interested in engaging and creating openings. What, what did you think, Kieran? Did Lubin prove or accomplish anything in this bout? Prove? Not necessarily. Um, accomplish? Yes. Um, uh, we pointed out last week that goal one was get Atu out of there. Um, had he hung in there for a while at two, or even God forbid made it to the end, uh, Lubin would have really lost some momentum in terms of, you know, trying to garner attention at the top of the division. Sometimes you just have to get your guy out of there and it's a fight that will be forgotten very swiftly. This was one of, as you said, Atu didn't seem really very interested in fighting, nor did he seem capable of competing. Sometimes you just have to get him out of the way. And that's what Lubin did. He did have his moments, I thought, when he did manage to crack through. And I thought he did. I think perhaps I saw it a bit more charitably to Lubin than you did. There were a couple of times, like in the second and third and fourth. Um, There was enough in the second where I thought, no, no, he's up on him. He's up on him a little bit because I didn't want, you know, you to get it right. Um, (laughs) Right. But it is, like you said, it's hard when your opponent's not interested um, sometimes to to really make it an interesting fight. I think, actually, it's a little bit to his advantage that there were so many fights on Friday and Saturday, especially sort of around the middleweight division. So if there were any criticisms to be made of him, really, people weren't really paying attention to that so much as they're paying attention to the – uh, Charlo's fight and Andrade's fight. Um, you know, look, he's working on a bit on a new style and some new techniques with Kevin Cunningham. He was able to do that at virtually zero risk. Came off fine for him. Job done. He's got a couple of early knockouts in a row now. He's building a bit of momentum. We'll all f- let us pretend that Zachariah Atu never happened and let's move <laughs> on to the next one. Yeah, and that's a good point about how it, it'll, it flies under the radar a little bit. No one's putting this fight under a microscope. We've probably right. spent as much time talking about it as anyone exactly. else in boxing uh, will be this week. So, uh, yeah, he gets another win by knockout on his record and, and can move on. 
Exactly. Uh, as we expected, the most competitive fight of the night was the opener in the featherweight division. They look big for featherweights to me, these guys, especially Marrero. Uh, yeah. Slight underdog Claudio Marrero scoring a unanimous decision win over Eduardo Ramirez by scores of 116, 112, 115, 113, and uh, a little bit off, I thought, 118, 110. Um, my prediction strategy did pay off. Mirroring your Marrero pick, uh, I would have lost some ground if I tried to go the other way, but I would have gained some ground had I not decided to be charitable and and not actually go with what I really wanted to go for, which was a Marrero unanimous decision. But <laughs> so I thought, no. easy to say after the fact. No, I thought, no, I'm not going to do that to Eric. I thought, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna shadow him. So that all worked out fine for both of us, really, okay. in the end. I don't As believe result, you one bit, but go on. Well, as a result, I remain five points back of you at 50 to 45. I have you perfectly where I want you at the halfway point of the year. But anyway, it's not really about us, much as we like to pretend otherwise. Um, what about the fight about Marrero and Ramirez? What did you think about it? How did you see it? Uh, and were you surprised by anything that either, either guy did there? So I had it 116-112 Marrero. The right guy definitely won. I'm with you that the 118-110 the score was a little wide. Not crazy, but a little wide. No big surprises except maybe how good Marrero's body punching was. That yeah. was the difference in the fight. Those shots were really bothering Ramirez. I actually gave Ramirez the first two rounds, and then I gave Marrero eight of the last ten. And I think the damage he was doing to the body had a lot to do with that, yeah. uh, with, with how ineffective Ramirez became as the fight went along. Um, by the way, a, a random fun moment in the 12th round. The referee had a bad moment. He, he got in the way and Mauro Ronaldo deadpanned. Welcome to Texas. Uh, I don't know about you, but I interpreted that as a dig at Lawrence Cole, Texas's most notorious, yep. controversial referee. Sure enough, two fights later for the Charlo Adams fight, Cole showed up. Uh, anyway, uh, Texas has a reputation uh, that I think is well-earned, and uh, I enjoyed that little comment from Mo. Boy, and he did not want to let go of his hand. Like, he was going to raise his arm at the end of it. Did you notice that? Marrero no, was I, didn't, up I didn't see that part. I oh, didn't notice. Marrero was jumping up and down and wanted to celebrate, and he's like, <laughs> nope. Nope, I'm going to raise your arm. You are not getting away from me. And he was dragging him around the ring so that he could raise his arm. I'm like, wow, dude, you are you're officious. <laughs> yes, that's the famous word that uh, Larry Merchant applied to Victor Draculich once. Uh, and yeah, uh, it, it applies here. But uh, yeah, welcome to Texas. Indeed. <laughs> All right, let's work through the weekend's other notable fights chronologically, which means we start with Richard Comey's stoppage of Ray Beltran on Friday night. I said last week that Beltran remains a tough out until someone proves otherwise. Comey almost proved otherwise in round one with two knockdowns, but Beltran battled back and made a fight of it before he was ultimately stopped in the eighth round after the fourth knockdown of the fight. What do you think, Kieran? Does Beltran remain a real contender after this, or do you see this fight as his last at this level? <laughs> Anybody else? I would probably say, yeah, it's probably his last at this level, but it feels like... We've all been collectively expecting Beltran to finally run into the buffers for years now, and he just doesn't. Um, he feels like he's been the old guy looking for a, a last shot for years now, and he keeps doing it. Um, that said, uh, he hasn't been beating this comprehensively and dramatically on this at this level before. I mean, not even Terence Crawford beat him, you know, this badly, I don't feel. Um it's his first stoppage loss, I think, in like 10 years or something. And he's, mm -hmm. But he's now lost two out of three. Um, 
I think it's a case where credit goes to Comey or should do rather than it being a demerit for Beltran. Um, but the story does come to a close for everyone at some point, doesn't it? Um, is it his last fight at this level? I guess it depends. As a contender, possibly, or at least he certainly won't see him as a contender again for the next couple of fights. He might still be at the similar level of fights, but instead of being the contender, he's the excellent yardstick for the up-and-coming contender. Right. Um, right? So I think that might be that slight shift. Uh, and I don't entirely put it past him still springing an upset or two in that role in the near future. But it's also possible when you get guys with this much mileage on them and at this age that, in fact, in his next fight, he's lower down the card given a tune-up and loses that and that this is the beginning of the end it's 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 hard to say i'm not ready to write him off because he's he's really boy if anyone's ever stuck around and proven really good value for money over the years it's certainly beltran but uh i think the next couple of fights will show i don't know that we can answer that question on the basis of this performance because a lot of it may have been due to how well comey fought but um after another fight or two we'll we'll know the answer to that one way it could be the beginning of the end for Ray Beltran and what a tremendous career. If anyone's ever like made the most out of his talent is this guy, I must say. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um, we have been talking about Comey as a challenger for Vasily Lomachenko. He was supposed to be a short while back, but injury derailed that. Um, as well as Comey did, I can't imagine that anybody watched that fight and changed any feeling that Lomachenko would of course be a big favorite in that fight. Um, but, now it seems all the talk is about Comey versus Teofimo Lopez, which is also extremely interesting. Um, is that a good development for him? Do you think, is there a chance that he is catching Lopez early enough that he has a shot here? Um, could he beat Lopez or is this just a really tough fight for him? I don't know. I mean, if, if I'm Comey, I'd certainly rather have the Lomachenko fight where you have a crack at the ultimate prize. You probably get paid better. And if you lose, it doesn't hurt your standing one bit because right. everyone right. expects you to lose. Lopez, I know there's a better chance of winning for Comey there. Maybe the timing is perfect. You know, Comey is a very big step up for Teofimo at this point. But there's also a good chance that you take a beating for only so-so money and you start to look more like a stepping stone than a contender yeah. afterwards. I'd make Teofimo a, a solid favorite in that fight. So Comey seems to me like a guy who who had his window and suffered this unfortunate hand injury and the window closed and the window that's now open isn't one he should be dying to climb through. Um, but that said, as a fan, I love the fight. Uh, Comey and versus Lopez is a, a really appealing showdown yeah. with a you know possible future pound for pound guy taking on, I would say his his first real test. So uh, I'm cool with that fight happening. I think for Comey, he was better off when it looked like he might get Lomachenko. Yeah. Uh, moving along to a couple of Saturday night fights. First uh, heavyweight, Joseph Parker stopped Alex Leopai in 10 rounds, though he couldn't knock Leopai down, stopped him on his feet. Blow-by-blow -blow man Brian Kenny called it easy work but good work for Parker. I suppose that's true, but it wasn't inspiring work or exciting work. Parker just doesn't seem to have that gear mm -hmm. where he can be spectacular. What were your takeaways here, Kieran? Uh, and is Parker positioned, as he believes he is, for a fight with the Ruiz Joshua 2 winner? He is on two conditions. 
One, that the winner of Ruiz Joshua 2 is Andy Ruiz. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and two, that Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury are busy either with each other or with others, leaving Ruiz with no other obvious immediate uh, option. Right. Uh, if Joshua beats Ruiz, there's simply no point in his facing Parker again. We've seen it once. It wasn't interesting. There was no controversy. It wasn't close. There's just no storyline to that fight. And AJ has better options, perhaps including a rubber match with, with Ruiz. But, right. um, but if Ruiz wins, yeah, look, like you said, I think we've seen enough of Joseph Parker now to know that what we saw on Saturday night is what he is. He's... He's solid. He's he has skills. He's perfectly capable of beating most B-level guys and below. Um, but he doesn't have. I, I think it's fair to say that when he was coming up, a lot of us felt that he was going to display or hinted at having that certain extra something that just hasn't developed. You know, there was while they were talk, while they were coming up, there was the oh, who's going to be the big dominant heavyweight? Is it going to be Joseph Parker or Anthony Joshua? And yeah, that just didn't end up being close. So, um, you know, so we know that. But to casual fans, as we discussed previously, right now he still has this one great thing going for him. He is the guy who beat Andy Ruiz Jr. And as long as he avoids losing again, um, if he could maybe pick up one more win, say, between now and the end of the year, and maybe it's against the guy who, who's a little bit overmatched. Maybe it's somebody he could just knock over and look really good against. Right. So that he's got something good on the highlight reel. So that if Ruiz beats Joshua again, there's at least something to hype up the notion that Parker's actually going to bring something really to the table again if he fights Andy Ruiz a second time. So uh, it's somewhat dependent on what other people do. Uh, he can certainly help himself a little bit. Um, but uh, he's not helping himself at the moment with, with some of these relatively pedestrian performances. Um, all right. Let's finish our post-fight breakdowns where we began, in a sense. Uh, we had another middleweight homecoming fight that ended in a one-sided decision. Uh, Demetrius Andrade gave the Providence, Rhode Island crowd a show of sorts in shutting out Machit Sulensky. Uh, but after coming out of the, flying out of the blocks mm -hmm. and knocking Sulensky down in round one, he never again had him badly hurt. And there was a fair amount of showboating. Uh, to the delight of some and the frustration of others. It's analogy time again to once again come back full circle from the top of are the we, show. Are, are we going to have animals boiling in water or something? Uh, something more it's food before? related. It's food okay. related. All right. <laughs> uh, are you familiar, Eric, with a spread that's very popular in the UK called Marmite? It's like a it's it's popular as a spread on it's a yeast based spread it's on goes on toast and in sandwiches and things like that australians and new zealanders have a similar version called i was going to, i was just going to say is it a, a cousin of vegemite which i only know because of the men at work the song. men at work song yes, yes it is. It is. <laughs> i have not and heard it, of marmite now okay and so the thing with marmite is that people either hate it or love it right they i've never met anyone who is indifferent or ambivalent toward marmite you have you, you can't get enough or you don't even want it in the house um, and so, as a consequence, it's become used as an adjective to describe other situations or, or other individuals, right? So, for example, Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom, Donald Trump in the United States are Marmite politicians. There gotcha. are people who hate them. There are people who bafflingly love them. <laughs> but, there are, but there's nobody – there are very few people in the middle going, I don't know. I'm going to give this Trump fellow a little bit of time. I don't think I have an opinion on him yet. Right. Um, 
there are other adjectives for both of those guys, which we'll save for later. But anyway, the point being, I think that if Android, and I'm finally going to get to the point here, you can tell this is a less substantial podcast than usual <laughs> because just uh, feel able to drone on here. But the point is, I think if Android isn't there already, he might be veering into this Marmite territory. He seems, you know, there are people who... Like on Saturday night after the fight, he got a lot of plaudits for some for yeah. being at times more aggressive and being more more interesting. And indeed, uh, for shutting out, befuddling and dominating a, a capable contender, although perhaps, as you indicated last week, uh, a contender who has perhaps shown us now that he's a bit less capable than we thought he was. Um, but at the same time, even when he was being when he was being aggressive at times, it was just it just looked like it didn't fit and and it was a bit sloppy and weird at times and and then as you mentioned there were there were just times where boy he just reverted to full-on showboating so i have yet to see a demetrius android fight that is engaging and as enjoyable as a demetrius android interview basically but <laughs> all of this set up <laughs> is um leading me to sort of ask you a question which is what do i think of marmite what do you think of Marmite exactly? And do you prefer it to Vegemite? Because that's a very contentious issue. That's a whole other episode there. We I, can go to that. I know I, I have not tasted Marmite, so all that I know for sure is I prefer it to Donald Trump. And we'll move on. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> um, so in the end, look, after all of that, given some people felt some way, some people felt another way, do you think he did anything to change the problem that he had of presenting a sort of risk-reward ratio uh, that's really out of whack for the superstars of the division to decide that they want to take him on. Not really. I, I don't think he did much to change it, uh, even more so than Jamal Charlo. Um, even though Andrade has the right political connections, I think he faces even more of an uphill yeah. battle than Charlo uh, to fight Canelo or Golovkin uh, because his style is potentially problematic for them. Mm -hmm. And he tends not to make exciting fights. Um, it's funny, in, in the Marmite vein, I saw this performance from Andrade called both dazzling and boring. Mm. Alternately, those words were, were thrown out there. And there's some truth to both. He was dazzling in spots, but the fight also got pretty boring pretty fast. Um, kudos to Andrade for deciding to use the nickname Boo Boo. It's a smart move if you sometimes... Uh, employ a stinker style so that it can be hard to tell <laughs> if the fans are booing or saying your name. Boo or saying boo booerns. Right. I was saying booerns. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Look, he, he started so well. Uh, you know, the knockdown with the left hand in round one. It's like Android picked up where Gabe Rosado left off. Right. Zulecki. Um, but the next 11 rounds were, for the most part, kind of monotonous. Uh, so I don't think he increased demand for the two superstars to fight him. I'll tell you what makes all the sense in the world. Charlo versus Andrade. Mm. Winner will have created a public mandate to get a shot at Canelo or Triple G in 2020. Get on that, mm. powers that be. There you go. <laughs> None of the powers that be are listening. But if they were... You don't know that. Yeah, that's true. They might be. Yeah, okay, fine. If you're listening, powers that be, get on that. Okay, so we've had a lot to say about the top guys at 160 pounds and all conversations about the upper reaches of the middleweight division ultimately come back to Canelo Alvarez. So let's start our news roundup with him since his September fight has been the subject of much speculation and discussion this week. 
We'd been assuming all along that Canelo would take a third fight with Gennady Golovkin on September 14th. That's the biggest possible event below the heavyweight division. And it might still be what happens. But this week, there were several reports about Canelo looking in other directions. Specifically, Callum Smith up one division at 168 pounds and Sergey Kovalev up two divisions at 175. Kieran, what are you hearing? What are you hoping for? And at this stage, what do you think is most likely to happen? Um, so I first actually heard about a month ago um, from a source quite close to the Kovalev camp that Sergey was in line for a Canelo fight, and I dismissed it completely. I hmm. thought they were insane and just getting overexcited. And I might have even said, I think you're just making this up. Um <laughs> And and it brought it up again recently. I just utterly poo-pooed it. It just made no sense to me at all. I I could not see why Canelo would want to do that, you know, because Kovalev obviously is dangerous, but for reasons that continue to elude me, he's never really been much of a draw. Um, I I could almost see Callum Smith as making more sense, even though he could might actually be even more dangerous, um, because at least he's got a big following. It's it's a fight that could do buffo box office in either the UK or the US. Um, but then this last week, various sources have begun to report Canelo Kovalev is under serious consideration, with Smith as another possibility. And I don't know uh, what's going on at Golden Boy or Team Canelo. I guess it's entirely possible they're just using everybody to make Triple G sweat and. Squ- Worm, mostly right. because the camps just hate each other so much that they might as well. Yeah. Um, it could be a case of forcing Golovkin to wait another six months or a year just to show that Canelo can do that or just to make Golovkin age that bit more. Um, you know, it could be done. You talked about Andrade and Charlo. It could be done with the intent of leaving, say, Andrade and Golovkin with nowhere else to go except to fight each other and thus one of them getting knocked off. Um or it could just be that Canelo doesn't want to face Golovkin again, or that he's genuinely more interested in seeing what he can do at 168, if that's where we would meet Kovalev, or or maybe even 175, or that he really sees something in Kovalev perhaps that he thinks he can exploit. Um, so I don't know. You asked me a couple of weeks ago, I think right after Golovkin beat Steve Rolls, is there any excuse for there to be any other fight other than Canelo-Golovkin? And I said no, but... That's because I was thinking in terms of middleweight fights. Right. If if you're going to blow off Golovkin, then fighting Sergey Kovalev or Callum Smith is absolutely the way to do it. If you if he pushes off Golovkin for another six months or another year or blows off a third fight entirely, then it would be what our friend Rafe Bartholomew calls like full heel Canelo. It would just be incredible. It would just be the full heel move. But at the same time, if you avoided Golovkin by fighting Kovalev and Smith. He would also be embracing the Brian Campbell challenge of daring to be great. Yep. So um, he would be doing both at the same time. It would be really, really interesting. And suddenly, I don't know, maybe this all settles down and we have Golovkin Canelo in September after all. But the buzz feels quite different at the moment. So my answer is I have absolutely no idea. So <laughs> I don't even know why I ask you questions sometimes. I, exactly, exactly. I'll just come up with some homespun analogy. Well, I'm just a small town podcaster, but um, <laughs> so uh, maybe you can do better than me. What do you think? Do you? What are your spidey senses telling you? And do you have any preferences? Well, the first thing my spidey senses tell me is that I don't. I don't think Callum Smith is going to be the one. That that just mm. feels illogical to me. Mm. Um, like you said, he's a big draw in Britain. Um, 
I don't feel like he's established enough mm-hmm. outside of Britain for that to really make sense. And he's a really tough challenge. Uh, yeah. I, you know, tough. good for Canelo if he wants to take on that challenge. And he has done that sort of thing before where people said, why are you fighting Austin Trout? Why are you fighting Aris Landy Lara? And he went ahead and did it. But I just don't see that happening. Um, so to me, I think it's it's kind of a toss-up at this point. It feels like between whether he's going to fight Golovkin or fight Kovalev. Kovalev makes a lot of sense. Um, the more I think about it, the more confident I am that it's a fight that Canelo, despite the size difference, should win, should be favored in. Um, and despite that, even if he does enter as the favorite, he'll get a lot of credit uh, if he yeah. wins. And yeah. there's a built-in excuse if he loses. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the Brian Campbell thing that you said, uh, he dared to be great. We'll say that. We'll, that He dared to be great. He gave up 15 or 20 pounds. It was a bridge too far. Oh, well, back down to middleweight where he hasn't uh, lost any any shine whatsoever. Um, and Kovalev is a big name. I know that you said he hasn't been a huge ticket seller, but certainly with the American audience, uh, all these years of fighting on premium TV, he's a big name. It's a marketable fight. It's another title in another division if it does take place at 175. I could very easily see it happening. Um, but we know that DeZone really wants the Golovkin fight. So maybe they'll win out. Uh, it sounds like this partially comes down to uh, Triple G agreeing to fight Canelo in Vegas again. That's one thing that I've heard is uh, that he, he the Canelo insists on it being in Vegas and Triple G is saying, no, nope, uh, I want to fight him, but I want to fight him somewhere else. Uh, if that's really a stick, sticking point, then, you know, I guess there's kind of a game of chicken going on and we'll just yeah, sort of see who sense. caves. But as you said, maybe Canelo just wants to grind Golovkin's gears and uh, get him a little older before doing it. I know that I really still want to see Canelo triple G three. There's unfinished yep. business there. Let's finish it. Um, but you know, I think if that fight isn't announced in the next couple of weeks, if, if this keeps dragging out, uh, I'm going to start to believe more and more that we are headed toward Canelo versus the crusher, which is oh, wow. fascinating. Cause you like you a month ago, if you told me that I, I would have just, uh, ignored you. But, right. Uh, a few more quick news items to run through. First, for Amir Khan's July 12th bout in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, opponent Niraj Goyat is out after suffering injuries in a car crash, and Billy Dibb is now in. Anything to say about this, or do we just shrug our shoulders and move on? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I like Amir, but this is almost as much of a nothing fight as the original opponent, and I remain, as I was when it was announced offended and unhappy with the premise of all of this where it is and why it's taking place there and i suspect you will be in accord with me if i suggest we speak no more of it until we have to i am in accord yes i figured as much another fight was scuttled by injury this week uh the rematch to the olympic medal fight between michael conlon and vladimir nikitin is off due to nikitin tearing his biceps muscle there's a lot of that going around lately uh so top rank is currently searching for a new opponent for conlon so same question back at you uh shoulder shrug or something something more insightful perhaps uh unlike anything you'll get out of me no you're not getting anything insightful from me on this one a, a shoulder shrug i realize it's really bad podcasting but so be it i'm shrugging my shoulders whatevs uh it, w- it was kind of a gimmick fight uh this mm. rematch so yeah maybe it'll happen later eh, until it does yeah whatever moving on um our, our last story here <laughs> finish finishing with a with a real bang <laughs> well listen 
the the what it's not our fault that the news this week isn't all that interesting except right. for maybe this last story this yeah. is kind of interesting it's a strange one uh that got some cnn coverage uh vladimir klitschko was rescued from a burning yacht in spain on monday thankfully everyone was fine so the entire boxing world was free to make jokes about shannon briggs being behind this uh kieran can i assume you will invite vladimir to hang out on your yacht this weekend since his is out of commission well I can truthfully say I shall not be using it. <laughs> okay. Or indeed any yacht. He is, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, more than welcome to use any yacht he wants, even if I would like to use it. There you go. That's <laughs> okay. about as honest an answer as I can get. Actually, you know what? To be really honest, this is, you might want to sit down, actually. Um, I, I, don't, I don't actually have a yacht. I don't believe you. Yeah, I don't. No, I don't. I have a rubber ducky for my bathtub. <laughs> but Vladimir can't have okay. that. All right, Kieran, here's my advice. If any women that you meet in the future, don't tell them about the rubber ducky. Go ahead and tell them you have a yacht. That's my that's, that's probably, my simple advice to you. Probably a good idea. Once, yeah. once again, hashtag no lions. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I, think, I think our spirit animal, we figured it out, is rubber duckies. <laughs> <laughs> it took us it took us a week to get there but now we know rubber oh, duckies dear. only that's us uh, thank goodness nobody will hear this on the internet that's the important <laughs> thing i'm i'm already getting a big tattoo that says rubber duckies only it's it's done i'm not even gonna ask where it is i'm really not <laughs> okay it's gonna be henna please, as well please wrap up the podcast yeah all right okay <laughs> Uh, we will uh, move on. That will do it for another edition of the podcast. Uh, a quick reminder, although I hesitate to ask people to do this now in the basis <laughs> of the last few minutes, but do please send mailbag questions on Twitter with the hashtag AskShowPod. That's A-S-K-S-H-O-P-O-D. Uh, we will be back next week. We'll be delayed by a day or so um because of the july 4th uh, holiday so expect a podcast to drop probably tuesday uh we'll preview the july 12th showbox card among other topics uh and we're working on lining up a guest it should be a fun one that i think uh so until then enjoy the holiday weekend and thanks for listening